Hey, Trails Collective. Welcome to Voices from the Collective, a podcast coming to you from the mouth of the East Coast in upstate New York. I'm your host, Ellie Pell. June is a busy month for us here at the Trails Collective. We've got races to direct, races to run, and a huge community we want to meet and support. This episode of the show is a rerun TC live show with Katie Arnold. Katie is one of the greatest American female ultra runners of all time, winning the 2018 Leadville Trail 100 run, where she finished 11th overall in a field of more than 700 runners. She was also 40 years old. She won the 2018 Gemma's Mountain 50 Mile, the 2014 Trans Rockies 3-Day Trail Run, the Gemma's Mountain 50K, the Mount Taylor 50K, and she is the two-time overall champion and course record holder at the Angel Fire 100K. Katie is also a regular contributor to Outside Magazine, and her stories have appeared in the New York Times, Men's Journal, ESPN The Magazine, Marie Claire, Runner's World, Elle, Sunset, and many, many more. This episode is a conversation between Katie trail sister and regular here, Grace Langheim, and happily running race director, Nicole Capadora. Enjoy the rerun and look for new podcasts dropping soon. Well, I never asked you, do you have a trail name? I, I don't. Ah, that, that is... <laughs> And so our guest tonight is so amazing that she needed two hosts. And this is it's too much for one. We've got um, we've got Katie Arnold with us. And uh, Katie is a contributing editor at Outside Magazine. Um where she worked for 12 years. She's got this column called Raising Rippers about bringing up adventurous children. It appears monthly on Outside Online. She's written for the New York Times, Travel Leisure, Runner's World, ESPN, The Magazine, Elle, and many others. Her narrative nonfiction has been honored in Best American Sports Writing. She's the 2018 Leadville Trail 100 Run Champion by the way, that was her first 100-miler, and she lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, although I did see an ultra sign-up. She's done U-Rock, so she's been over here on the Beast Coast, uh, but she lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico with her husband and her two daughters. Um, we are trying to figure out a little bit um, of our <laughs> our connection. She's had some trouble connecting. Yeah, I think we just lost her. Yeah. I think we just lost her. She's been having trouble connecting um, over on the um, on the the West Coast with her connection. So um, in the meantime, we were having fun with uh, she had a spotty she had a bit of a spotty um, connection in the beginning, and she was frozen like this. It was amazing. <laughs> so Nicole, how do you not have a trail name? How is this possible? Uh, you know, I don't know. Do you do you give yourself the trail name? Or no, no, absolutely not. Oh. It has to be given. All right, no, don't have one yet. <laughs> oh man! Now you you um, started reading um, Katie's book because she she wrote. What was the name of the book she wrote? I did she wrote a book called Running Home, uh, mm -hmm. which I started reading, and I didn't get to get through all of it. Um, I did. 
I did get through a, a good chunk of it. I got through half of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, oh, she's back. Oh, she's back. Um, That's good. Katie, we were just talking about your book. Um, <laughs> And and one of the and Nicole's going to ask some some more questions a little bit um, that's related to that. Um, I know Nicole is excited to read the book because she also has two young daughters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to hear what you've learned, Nicole, from that book. But welcome back to us, Katie. Thank you. You're you're out of your your beautiful sunlight, but that's that's good. You don't want to be too shiny. You're not too shiny. You look perfect. There's there are some clouds in the sky today in Santa Fe, which is unusual, but it means vacation, which we always need. So yeah, I, I'm happy happy to see the clouds. Yeah, yeah you just came uh, came back from Hawaii, right? I, we were in Hawaii. We had left the state of New Mexico for the first time in nine months. We've been in really tight lockdown. We've had very strict travel regs here. And so it was amazing to be at the ocean. But I will say like, the I had total culture shock leaving. Like I couldn't, I was, we were in the Oakland airport and I saw water for the first time, like a big body of water for the first time in like nine months. And I, I almost fell over. I was like, wow. yeah, I'm such a water person too, as well as the mountains. So it was really good for my soul. Yeah, isn't it wild how the familiar things seem brand new again? Post, uh, like coming out of COVID, we're not post COVID, but it's it's bizarre. We're like emerging, and there and like there were so many people in the world, and so many like people and bodies to look at, and like new things. You know, <laughs> I felt yeah, it was real. Like the people watching was insane. Like when you have been cooped up. I mean, not cooped up, but like I've been out on the trails a ton, but like mm -hmm. not out public and it was just like wow there's a lot of different people in the world <laughs> oh that's great it, it's good that you had some downtime and um and like i said i'm gonna have uh nicole take over with some better questions on what i have um but um during your downtime i because not only are you your your um your resume is phenomenal with trail running but you seem to be uh, a bit of a fan as well. So I want to know, are you like the common folk? Were you following Barkley on the Twitters with all the rest of us? I mean, I, you know, I wasn't because I was away, but, uh -huh. and, and I always sort of like, I'm on the periphery, I think in a, and that's maybe like my chosen MO is to be like mm. slightly on the outside, like not a full, not fully immersed. Um, and I like to be the one who comes out of nowhere and like, you know, who's not a complete follower, but I was, I was, you know, I was watching Courtney and I know Liz and like, it was fun to sort of see what was going on, but I wasn't like pinned to it by any means, but I keep my eyes open and my ears open. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, fun to watch, but, uh, there's always too much of a good thing, right? You can't have, you can't have too much beast coast, which is a good thing. Uh, we are on the Beast Coast, and I know you have run over oh, here. The, the Beast Coast is formidable, I will say. Yeah. Having grown up there, but not in a, like competing in ultras when I was there, I went back two years ago to run um, uh, Ultra Race of Champions in the Shenandoah, or no, in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. And oh my gosh, I will take high altitude over humidity and like the dense forest. Like 
I could never see out. And yeah. that was so hard for me. Mentally. <laughs> I was like, where, where's the view? Like, can I just claw my way out and get that like perspective? I, yeah, I was in the soggy and plus it rained all day. And I basically had trench mm -hmm. foot by the time yeah. I took the shoes off. I was like, what? Yeah, my stepmother was crewing for me. And at one point she's like, in her very brisk British, like efficient way. She was like, shall we change your shoes? And I was like, I couldn't be bothered. It was raining so hard. But then when I took them off at the end of this hundred, you know, hundred K, I was like, oh, I might've changed my shoes. That might've been a <laughs> so it's a huge effect for people. Who, yeah, those are legit trails. Yeah, well, I, I do appreciate you stroking our ego a little bit over here on the Beast Coast. We need it, it's we need it. I, like I said, I will take, <laughs> 13,000 foot peaks out my door over that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, there I do want to run the Vermont. Um, mm. I was supposed to run that a few years ago, but then I had this crazy accident where I broke my leg on the on a wilderness trip in the on a river. And, um, so I have a chit on that one that I'm going to fulfill someday. <laughs> yeah. That's on my no. next year. So. Really? Oh, it's cold. Yeah. Weren't you um weren't you the one who told me about that uh was that the the fall that you were talking about? That was one of the incidents I was talking about, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yes, I did um I did mention that one, the, the big rafting accident and how um you were told you weren't gonna run again yeah. after that. Yep, um, I was I was told yeah, I, I fell out of we flipped our raft. We do a lot of whitewater. We're, you know, experienced. It's like my happy place besides the mountains is to be on moving water. And it was a fluke accident on the middle fork of the salmon, which is a pretty burly river and um, no nonsense. It was the first day of a six day trip and it was mile, like not even mile two. And we wrapped on a rock and I fell and I hurt myself and I knew I was hurt, but you know, like, I think my, I have a very high pain threshold. Anyway, long story short, it turns out to be broken, but I stayed on the river because it's complicated to get off the river. You think you could just hike a mile back, but at that point you're committed. Like you can't get the boat out, you know, it's roadless. And um, so I stayed on the river for six days. And when I got off and finally made it back to Santa Fe, the, the x-ray was, cause I figured it was my ACL or something. He's like, yeah, it's broken and you're gonna need surgery. And then when I met the surgeon, classic, you know, was like, I would never run again if I were you. And, and that was pretty hard to recover from. Like that is a voice you need to exercise from your mind. And it took me like the better part of a year. That doctor's voice lived in my knee, you know. That probably pushed you too, right? That yeah, was it wasn't sort of like, I'm gonna show him. That was not the sort of driving, um, energy but it was more like a fear that he would be right and that he would like you know like get the last laugh kind of thing and um but i had to go into a pretty deep place of like mental training to pull out of that and to like tell myself only positive stories like if you were to ask me about my leg i would not tell you how i broke it i mean i wouldn't avoid it but i would like skim over that and then i'd be let me tell you how i'm healing myself mm -hmm. and i didn't Call it my broken leg. I called it my healing leg. So it was all that stuff. And I didn't read a book on this. Like it wasn't that I was like following some like manual on like positive training, but it was just all that came so naturally to me that I was like, if I just call it broken 
and fixate on how I broke it. Like I have to be in the, the healing mindset. And so that's, I put myself in that pretty strong place. Um, and, and that's how I came out of it. Um, uh, it, it was people would always be like, Oh my God, that's so awful. And I'd be like, well, we have to reframe that because if I stay in the awful broken place, it's not going to, I'm not going to have full, complete healing. Yeah. Was that part of the, the meditation that you had found through that yeah. too? Or is, cause I know yeah. you, you did a lot of meditating for, for grief. Right. So, so. So, right. The meditation kind of came into it when I was grieving my father, as I write about extensively in Running Home, which you mentioned, I didn't hear that, but um, which is really about me kind of becoming, finding my way into ultra running as a way to heal from the grief of losing my father with whom I was very close. Like he was sort of my inspiration for living a very like outdoor oriented life and also my a huge creative influence on me. He was a photographer, National Geographic. Um, and so he shaped me incredibly on how I saw the world as an artist and like always paying attention and being observant is so important as a, obviously as a photographer, but it's really kind of your secret weapon as a writer too, is like you're always seeing the details. And so when he died, um, I went into this really profound grief state that turned into anxiety where I was afraid that I was dying um, for like 18 months, you know, and I had never had that. Uh, I now know that it's not uncommon to take on the pain and the, um, the literal pain, the physical pain of someone you lost. Um, but it was really scary. Also, I was postpartum. So I know that was mixed in. Um, so I, I tried tons of different healing modalities. I live in New Mexico, Santa Fe, where there's tons of that. And I'm a super open-minded person. So I would try it all. Um, but really what worked the best is what has always worked for me, which is running and not like road running or like out just in the city, but, you know, into the mountains, into the wilderness, like nature healing, nature therapy. And, and running honestly was the fastest, easiest way to get deep, the deepest into the wilderness. So that's, so that was mostly my healing, but that's when I did start meditation, um, just as a way to try to calm my mind, because as a writer, I have a very uh, dynamic imagination, which serves me so well. Like it's my best friend as a writer. Um, but when you are, have anxiety, it becomes kind of your worst nightmare. And so meditation in conjunction with running. So as I'm sure we all experience when we run, like, you have all that chattering at first and then you kind of run through it and you're in that like meditative state where um, you're aware, but you're not using your thinking brain. It's like beyond thinking in, in meditation is what they call it. And so I would find that running and then, but I needed like extra boosts of that because, you know, I would come home from my run and all the worry would come rushing back. And so I started sitting meditation then and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm such a beginner. Like my stamina for running far outweighs my stamina for sitting. Like I can run for six or seven hours, but you know, sitting more than 10 minutes is hard for me. So I'm talking like baby steps sitting, but anything counts with sitting and with running and with you know movement in general, everything counts. And so I would sit three minutes, five minutes, you know, and, and just breathe and not try to get rid of my thoughts. That's what everyone thinks with meditation is that you have to be like no thoughts but that's not true. Like you have your thoughts and you just let them come and go 
and not grip onto them, which is what anxiety is like clutching to our thoughts and making whole stories around them. So that's how I got into meditation. And then it got much deeper for me. Um, and it became really part of kind of, I don't use the word training so much, but it became part of my whole approach to being an ultra runner is the sitting. And um, that always aligns me with myself. Earlier, you asked me, like, do I follow all this other stuff like Barkley? And I find if I follow too much, right, there's like a perfect dose where you're mm -hmm. inspired and connected with your fellow runners, but you're not pulled outward. And um, so I have to really stay strong on who I am and why I run and how I run, which is different than most people. And so sitting is like my best, my best tool for that. That was a long-winded answer. <laughs> so did you use that? I, I heard you, um, I can't remember the podcast, honestly, but I heard you <laughs> talking on, um, but you had mentioned that you, Use the meditation in Leadville and use that kind of out of body um, flow. Yeah, to get you through Leadville. Is is that from yeah. all the, the beginning of meditations? That's where it like sparked from. Um, you know, I was doing it all like so. I broke my leg in 2016, and I started running again um, in 2017. And so I was doing all my meditation practice like that whole year before Leadville. And so I was building it up inside of me as a strong practice without having it to be for anything. That's a really big part of Zen Buddhism is like it's not for a specific goal, right? Like it's for itself. And mm -hmm. so it was really good for me because I wasn't trying to use it for anything, even though like it did help me calm my mind and it helped me get centered on who I am. Like it, I sat just to sit like, and I tried not to bring any expectations to it, which really translates nicely. Like when you practice that with sitting, then you can apply it to running. And so like I would go on my long runs and I would have, practiced enough with sitting to have that same feeling of like, I'm not going to impose anything um, on this run. Like this run will be the run it is, and I'm going to be fully present. And flow state is really just in another way. I think of it as just being fully present to what is and, um, and to be going with it and not resisting it. And so certainly by the time I got to Leadville, like I was pretty attuned to that, um, that in me that I I knew that feeling when I was flowing and I knew the feeling when I was resisting or making up lots of stories or um, trying to get something out of something. And so I just um, knew how to duplicate that feeling like I would practiced enough so that on race day, but there was a lot going into it. Like I had done a training run in in Leadville in June and one of the runs was great. Like I I felt great, but I felt the whole time that I was on my clock and I was really pushing and like striving. I mean, that's really the word I was striving and it paid off. I had a great run that day, but it didn't feel great on the inside. It, and mm -hmm. I thought, and so I went out the next day for the next day's run, which was up and over their hope pass, which is the big climb. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to turn off my watch and I'm just going to be in the mountains and flow with the mountains energy. And, I, and I'm a very energetically aware person. So like I know the mountains have energy and I've always felt it through my body. And so that was my goal that day was just to use the mountains energy. And um, 
not have to be the boss of it. And I did that and I had this phenomenal training day. And at the end of that day, someone who, who saw me running and I passed them on the climb, he was this super nice guy. He's like, he came in after me and he's like, where's your motor? And, and I just, without even missing a beat, I was like, it's in the river beneath my feet. And that, was awesome. <laughs> that, that, that was that I felt like I felt like I was on this river riding the river up the mountains and I and I knew in that moment that and I had enough experience racing that like if you have an ex a day before the race that feels like everything you want to feel in the run itself you almost like want to bottle it and I, so I was like this is the feeling I want to duplicate and um I didn't I just held that loosely in my head. Like I knew I was like, this is it. This is the feeling. And I, I didn't plan on how to get back there, but I just held it. It was like, I honored it sort of. And then, you know, six weeks later when I went back, I was able to like uncork the bottle and like, let that come out. Yeah. Yeah. You really don't, you don't learn to run a hundred miles. You learn to enjoy running in your training, right? Yeah. That and you end up running a hundred miles at the end of the training plan. Yeah. It's like you have to have the, like I needed that goal, right? And it was, mm -hmm. I was very clear about it. Like I registered, I got in, I was like, I guess I'm running this. And I was really public about it and not like bragging, but a lot of times, like if I'm not sure I'm gonna do something, I don't talk about it. But this time with Leadville, I was talking, like I was talking to my husband I was, like open about it. So I knew that meant that I was serious about it. And, um, and so then I just, it was like pulling me forward. That's the best thing that I, the best analogy I can use is like, I was being pulled toward the goal. The goal was not um, like, I wasn't working backwards from the goal. Like I want to win Leadville. I want to do anything with Leadville. It was just like, I had it out there and it was this, it gave my it gave my training or my running shape, and um, so it's such a fine line because I think if you just put everything on the end result, like I won't be able to flow. That's not my flow. I think maybe it works for some people, um, but I had to hold it loosely. Like I want to run Leadville. I am running Leadville, but like a million things could happen. Like it could look super different than I think. And it ended up looking very different. Like I didn't know I would win, you know? And um, so, yeah, it's that tricky thing of like holding your goals lightly and not being super fixed on results. Yeah, you could you could break your leg in the first couple of minutes, you know? <laughs> so you, you um, exactly. And you have I to be open to anything. And I think that's what meditation had taught me and mm -hmm. Zen in particular is to like, be open to all the possibilities and no good, no bad. Like it might seem really bad that you, like it, it seemed really bad at the time that I broke my leg, but now I can't really say that it was bad. It was no, it wasn't good or bad, you know, led me to where I am. And so, yeah, like being open to whatever can happen is a huge part of my running mindset. And it's hard, like you, you have to practice that kind of yeah. daily to stay in that place i'm not always there <laughs> so i'm going to kick over quick uh liz hartman and i think you might have answered this somewhat um but i do want to just give you an opportunity to clarify maybe liz hartman had asked katie said she runs differently than most people how so um well i don't count my miles like i don't keep track of my weekly mileage i mm. um 
don't usually check my pace. Um, I run from feeling rather than like um, the numbers. I'm, I almost kind of avoid the numbers because I, I know the feeling I want from running, the numbers don't tell the whole feeling. I mean, the numbers would never have showed that feeling I wanted at Leadville of like, I want to flow with the mountains. And so um, I, yeah, I'm just not that data oriented. I, um, I run alone a lot, which I think a lot of people do. Um, but I, I wish I had more training partners. I just don't because of, I run like at odd times. And, um, but I think mostly it's like only recently if I started following a plan and um, have a, I have a coach and even that's hard for me. The co my coach is incredible, but I find that there's a really fine line for me. Like if I don't feel like I have freedom in myself, because running really ultimately is just a form of expression. Like my truest expression along with writing comes out when I run. And um, so if I get too rigid on a plan, that's not my expression, right? That's me like training for something, which is totally different. Um, so I just find that I have to stay um, like a little bit looser. I don't know if you know, sometimes I wish I were that runner who could keep a log. I can't tell you how many times I've bought the running log or that I got this amazing one from Grayson Murphy sent me her cool race and Grayson um, training log. It's awesome. What's today? March 25th. I opened it today for the only the second time this year. I think that if I tabulate my stuff too much, it feels um, doesn't feel as intuitive or um, internal. And, and that's what I'm going for when I run. <laughs> Did that answer the question? I hope. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think cool. just being a mom, like competing and being a mother, like um, I felt this way yesterday. Like I opened the laundry room door and there was like a mountain of laundry. And we all have that. But I just had that moment of like, crap. Like, I can't just take off for the Grand Canyon on a four-day training mission. Like, I can, and I have. But, like, if I followed other runners too closely on social media, I get a real, like, sense of inadequacy because I'm, like, I, I'm just here doing what I can do, like, in the space I have. And um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's just you, you – my, my saying – one of my sayings from the book from Running Home is, like, run where you are. That's a very Zen thing too. It's like run where you are. So where I am is like in middle motherhood, right? Like my kids are 10 and 12. No one tells you this. It gets a lot harder. Like they need more of you when you get, when they get older. So yeah. it was easier when they were little and I just left them with the babysitter. Now it's like, there's a lot more layers to being a mom. It, it gets better. It gets better. So mine's 19. Okay. And, um, and so now like she has, she has a driver's license. She kind of has her own thing. And she, she even said to me, like, she's like, mom, I'm, I'm sorry for when I was 14 from like 12 to 17. She's like apologized for all of that. She's like, I, I don't know what was wrong with me. I'm fine now. <laughs> but so it gets better for the both of you. Now, Nicole, you have two young girls. How old are yours? Two, yes, uh, four and six. Okay, uh, they're, they're still pretty young, and uh, it's it's hard to get out there sometimes to run now too. You know, I, I go out the door and they're like, "Can we come? Can we can we run?" Yeah. With you? I'm like, "Yeah, when I come back." Yeah, 
I mean, I think too, motherhood is so like poignant because just now when you're saying like yours is 19, I'm like, I don't want mine to be nine. Like I want her to, I want her to stay. And so it's just like you're that's that push pull. And there's a lot of energy that goes into that. And I think, you know, a lot of my energy is in motherhood, even if it's like not full on time, it's emotional energy. And I think if you don't have that place where the energy goes, like, God, I think like, where could, how much energy could I put toward the running? Of course, I would never want that. Like, I think being a mother makes me a better runner, even though like it, you know, yesterday when I got ambushed by that laundry, I was like, what? You know, I felt very sorry for myself. <laughs> but mostly, you know, I think it, it it's really good mental training. And like, it's, yeah, I wouldn't choose anything different, but um, it changes all the time. Like right before the pandemic hit, I was feeling it really acutely. Like, oh, my girl was 11 and a half. And I was like, oh, she's on the verge. Like she still wants to hang out with me. And, but I don't know how much longer. And I was questioning like how much I wanted to be away racing. And mm -hmm. then lo and behold, like four weeks later, the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, be careful, like what you wish for. I mean, I'm just like, your time. <laughs> you know, like now I don't, I haven't raced and like, and so, but I, yeah, I, it's very like, you want it both ways as a mother. And I write that in the book. It's like a total form of like, don't ever leave me and like, leave me alone, you know, like at the same time. Um, to to go to that, um, you have the column raising rippers, yeah, and that's pretty much about kids and and being active. Yeah, it's about it's about raising kids outside and and to be active, you know, adventurous kids, and also really importantly, like stewards of the natural world, like. Um, so I launched the column in 2011, I guess when my younger daughter was just one and, you know, my husband and I have always been outdoor athletes. And so even before I started running in a competitive way, like that's how I came to running was as an outdoor athlete. So like mountain biking, you know, rivers, big time skiing, backcountry skiing, all that. I think that's also how I'm different. Like I didn't come up through like a high school or college cross country route like and so i've always been this multi-sport athlete and we love doing those things and you know a friend of mine right before i gave birth to my first daughter gave me great advice she was like start off as you mean to go on and in motherhood and so i just took that as like well we always love being outside we're going to raise our kids outside so we just have to start off that way and um, that meant like river trips with our kid. Like we took our younger, both girls on their first river trip when they were 10 months old, 10 months old. And yeah, and it's, it's so paid off because now like we're going on a river trip next weekend and that my kids are such river girls. But, um, at the time it kicks your butt, you know, you're changing diapers. <laughs> I remember like pumping, breast pumping in a snow cat one time, like in the law, you know? So it's just, it's worth it though. Like it's an investment. Like you're making an investment in your future and your family's future by like getting them outside. If that's what you love to do. And it's much, I think there's more examples of that now, but even, you know, 11 years ago, I didn't see it as much. And there was this idea of like, oh, once you become a mom or a parent, like it's over like your outdoor lifestyle's over. And that was totally not the case. So I started that column just to sort of like document how you can keep going 
even when it's getting too flat. Um, the, that is awesome. Uh, the, um, the incident that I, I was, that Grace had mentioned before that I was talking about was, um, when you were attacked with your youngest oh, daughter, right. yes, by the shorts man, I believe. Yeah, yeah the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, that's like a fear as, as just a woman, I would think being alone in the woods, right? Like just. Yeah other people rather than than animals yeah um, do you because you mentioned you run alone do you still have that fear of it's of interesting like, um so that happened in 2008 when pippa was four months old and i had hiked throughout my pregnancy i didn't run in my pregnancy i just didn't feel like I didn't, it didn't feel good when I did it. So I hiked and I hiked up the mountains near my house. So I was really used to hiking pregnant. I was never afraid. And, um, and then I hiked through like, you know, her first few months as an infant and we would hike at nap time and she would sleep and, and then this happened. And so I was on, and I write about this in running home and um, this man was having a schizophrenic episode and he thought I was going to hurt him and I had her on my chest and I came around a switchback and he was coming toward me and I'd recognized him he I saw him often as a homeless person um, walking up the you know, up the road and um, so I didn't I wasn't afraid of him and then he threw a rock at my head and it hit me and anyway um, yeah for a long time afterwards I was afraid but I kind of as you do after trauma, I think like you put, you compartmentalize. And so my fear was not, I compartmentalized that like, I didn't want to be alone with her on a trail and have someone attack me with her or a baby, you know, me with one of my babies. Cause then I got pregnant again. And um, so I started hiking with friends and I would have a friend come with me and then I felt safe with her carrying the baby. And, um, so when it finally came time to start running, I had compartmentalized enough that I was like, when I'm by myself and I'm not carrying her, I'm fast and I can get away. And I worked through that a lot. Like I did some wilderness self-defense and my teacher, this amazing Tai Chi teacher, Jeff, reminded me, he's like, because the man, when he threw the rock, then started to chase me. And I just busted up the trail, like off trail, like put bushes, fast and I you know he was older but he I dropped him so fast and that was with the baby on my chest and so my Thai tea teacher reminded me he's like Katie your like you your legs are your best um you know defense like and so I I didn't lump myself in that same category of like as vulnerable being just by mm -hmm. myself if that makes sense and I think that's a trauma response I think you have to like find a logic that lets you keep going because I couldn't give it up. Like I, mm. the nature and trails and mountains have always been like my true home. Like I'm much more comfortable outside than in. And so that wasn't an option. So it was like, I had to find the loophole and the loophole was like, you know, I can run fast, but I'm always aware. And I'm definitely like, I carried pepper spray for a long time. I also run with my dog now and he mm. wouldn't let anything happen to me. Um, 
And I just learned also, like, I don't have to be the friendliest person out there. So if you've seen me before on the trail, and if anyone's listening, I'm mostly, I'm super friendly in races. I'll talk your ear off. I love to chat. But like, if I were to come around the corner on the trail and not know you, like, I probably, I might just do this. But I'm super friendly. So that's yeah. some of the things I learned that helped me. And and everyone has their, you know, obviously, I always tell someone where I'm going. Yeah. You carry your phone with you? I do carry my phone. And and more and more, there's reception most places. But I can't count on it. But it's more like a secure, it feels like security. And um, uh, yeah. So I have those layers. It's like the dog. It's going on trails I know. But that doesn't always, this was a trail that I know. And that's that familiarity bias that kicks in where you think, like, I've done this trail 100 times. So nothing mm -hmm. Happen on it, and that's it's just bias. It's not true, um, but and then I'll run with people when I can. But like I said, often I don't just because I'm the distances I'm going or whatnot. Yeah, there's something you know. It's it's uh, really a uh, two sides of the same coin. You know, on the one hand, um, we can feel vulnerable alone, but it can also be really empowering to yeah. know. Like I know if zombie apocalypse comes. I can run to the coast. Like I can make it to the Chesapeake Bay and jump on a ship. Right. But I can't get there fast. I don't yeah. have that on my side, but I've got endurance and I can yeah. totally get there. Yeah. But but I do worry because my daughter's 19, like I said. So she um she just got accepted into an arts college in Detroit. And so now she's she's going to be in the big city alone. So how do you feel? You're you're raising rippers. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about when they get older? Um, what level of independence do you allow them? And how how do you feel about them going into that? They're going to yeah. follow mom, right? Yeah, they will. And like, I, I mean, I'm the face I'm making is just like thinking about my kids at 19 going to like a city. Like I'm like that. I'm much more comfortable like on them on the mountain or skiing by themselves or like my, my older daughter started going on mountain bike rides with a friend or um, so, but that's all because like we've, as I'm sure you've done with your daughter, like you train them up. It is like training, right? And like mm -hmm. their leash gets a little longer when they demonstrate that they're capable of X or Y. And like, and we train them up that way with like something as simple as walking to school. You know, I would walk with them forever and then like they would walk part way and then I would meet them. And so, and like we talked a lot about like if you need help there's this art gallery going here or like, what would you do? And so we do scenarios and like just in a casual way, but it's that kind of like, I call that sort of training. And so, but we're also, that training is like training us as parents to like, let them go. Um, but I, the next frontier of like them driving or like your daughter going off to college, like I am so when I haven't trained up to that. So that sounds to me like running <laughs> a thousand miles. I'm like, you talked to me about that in like six years. I got to do these like steps between, but this part of it, yeah. And and I write about that in Raising Rippers of like mm -hmm. of letting them do these things on their own or like ski their first run in the trees by themselves or whatever. And um, yeah, there's a lot of fear, right? Motherhood and like worry go hand in hand, I think. 
I wanted to go back um, because you, I think something that everyone is, is kind of dealing with right now, or was at least in the past year, um, was that that fear that you had said where um, you felt every moment or every sickness you were you were dying yeah. right yeah. after after that. And I, and I feel like with COVID, have you felt the same way? Like that anxiety has that come back, or or even for people who haven't felt that before and had felt that in the past year, um, what would would you suggest a meditation that that kind of would work? Like, would you use that yeah. same practice? I mean, I definitely felt it. Like my anxiety. What I learned is that like it that this health anxiety was certainly triggered by my father's death, but. Like, I think it's going to be with me in some form or another, even like as a real, you know, deep shadow piece, like not super acute all the time. But it came back a lot, as you said, in COVID, because there was, you know, like the worst case scenario, like a global pandemic happening and people were getting really sick. And um, and and there was a time like in the spring where like almost every day at like 6 p.m. when my allergy medication would wear off because I have bad seasonal allergies, I'd be like, I'm sure I have COVID. It'd be like <laughs> 7 o'clock. But, and, and there's like so many people who have really truly suffered and lost people. And so I'm not trying to make light of it, but it was, it was this perpetual fear. And I've been recently vaccinated. And so that fear has gone. And I realized in its absence how much of a presence it had on you know in and how much how much I thought about it and worried and worried just like as I'm sure you both as parents do like well what happens if we both get it and like what's our plan with the kids you know and that and so what I I just would go back to this meditation um a specific meditation when I was feeling like most anxious that um really amazing like mindful parenting counselor gave me right after my dad died and and it's the five senses meditation so you literally just try to you don't even have to sit it can be like in a moment of acute anxiety um where you're worried about the hypotheticals or the future like do i have it i'm gonna get sick is just key into your five senses and just go through them like i smell you know my husband making dinner downstairs i taste the tea i just drank and like and you can just do that catalog, kind of an inventory of your senses, and it brings you right into the moment and out of that fear place. And so that's a handy one that I do a lot, like if I'm really feeling over in the overwhelm. And then, and then just a basic sitting meditation where if you can sit, and like I said, don't try to rid your brain of thoughts, but like, I just count my breath, like in is one, out is one, inhale two, exhale two. And, you know, anytime your mind strays, which might be like a thousand times in 10 minutes, totally okay. Just come back to the counting. And that I find, you know, it seems like nothing and kind of like, what's the point? But if you do that and build it up, and again, you don't have to increase your time each day at all. It's not like running. Like I just, you know, I sat seven minutes tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, sit eight. You could do seven forever. And, um, but it's just like, 
you kind of come back into the moment. And I find that I get up from that often relaxed, sometimes not, sometimes agitated, like, why do I have so many thoughts? But again, it's like running. Some days you have good days and easy days. It's like writing too. And then you show up and some days it's really hard. And But the most important thing is just to keep showing up. So come back to the cushion and the next day, just like going back to the trail, it's a totally different experience. I, uh, I heard you're working on a new book, right? I am. Another one? I am. And um, it's kind of like a companion. Well, I, I don't know how to describe it because it's so in process and it's totally showing me what it is as I go. And that's how I write. Like I, I write the way I run, which is like intuitively from inside versus like having the like I want to finish Leadville in under 20 hours, like taped to my board. You know, I don't have the 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 um, chapter outline to this book, right? I sort of actually do, but like, I don't, um, that's kind of just luck. I don't um, have it all laid out. If I had it all laid out, it's like, I would miss all the mystery in between. And sometimes those detours that happen are the real path. And so I think some writers do that. They like plot it out and everything is like cut and dry. And that's a totally cool, different kind of brain. But for me, I have to be in the not knowing. And that's also that Zen idea of like, and that we've all been living this last year of like seriously living in the not knowing of like what is going to happen next. No one knows. And, and that's where we always live. But we've like can fool ourselves most of the time that we, you know, have control and so um, writing a book is for me like running. It's like that fine line. I, like, I want to have the direction and the structure, but I don't want to have it all numbered out. And I don't want to be on like, what's my pace today? Or um, So it's kind of magic. And that's like what I try for when I write um, what comes out and like, and it's showing it, the, the writing always has its own energy and I get into trouble when I try to like manage that or like boss it around, you know, I have to like let it flow. I mean, I really do. So yeah, it's pretty fun to be working on it. Um, and, uh, but it involves that, you know, the crazy river accident. It's a lot about marriage and Zen and running. And um, if, if running home really focused on sort of my father, like this is a lot more about just like being married, like being married with someone and kind of mm. being on that journey with someone else. Like sometimes you look at him and you're like, oh my God. And then other times you're like, I can't believe, like, who are you? You know, I'm sure we all feel that way. But, yeah. Um, so yeah. And it's definitely about like, you know, that, Leadville is for sure part of it. And it's so it's a it's about running in the same way that running home is about running, but I wouldn't necessarily call running home a running book, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah. I'm looking forward to continuing to follow your adventures, especially yeah. with these with these kids. Uh, Adam had asked in the chat, he had said, Do you think part of encouraging your kids to be outside will include running cross country and track in school, despite that not being part of your evolution as a runner? And I think, you know, to follow that up, would it include basketball or volleyball or other team sports? Have they shown that interest in team sports, um, even though a lot of what they grew up with and what you grew up with was being outside? Yeah, that's a great question. So we try to encourage 
like movement for our kids is non not optional, right? Like so you're gonna and being outside. Those are the two things. It's like every day you're gonna move and be outside for at least an hour. Um, if if not more, they've actually been fortunate to go to outdoor school all year. So they've literally been schooled outside all day, every day, even in the dead of winter. They dress like they're going skiing, like they're in full ski gear. And um, so out being outside and being and like doing movement and exercise, like because you know, studies show like kids need an hour of moderate exercise a day. That can take whatever form they feel like are into. I don't want to prescribe to them like what their um, passions or interests or curiosities are. Um, like for me, running, I've been a runner my whole life. And so even though I didn't compete on those teams, like I have run since I was seven. Um, and the photo of run of, on the cover of Running Home is me at that age. And so, um, and, and running really for me was this intrinsic joy. Like I just did it because I liked it. And, and when I ran as a kid, I actually made stories up in my head. So really early on, I saw the connection between running and writing or running and creativity or movement and creativity. And so I tapped into that. And, and my parents, I mean, being the 70s and 80s, parenting was different. They were just like, as long as you're home for dinner and alive, like, we care what you do. So they didn't boss me around with my sports. Like, it was expected that we would play sports because sports are just good for kids. And um, but they didn't care if we were like exceptional. They didn't, you know, push us into certain things or make us feel badly if we weren't good. They just were like, play three sports. I played three sports all growing up. You know, do you change with the seasons? That's just what you do. And um, so that's the same expectation for my kids. And like they are love to ski. They both play lacrosse. I'm, my husband and I coach their lacrosse team. They, so we do do team sports, but that's a tricky balance. And I've written about that. Like because we want to balance it with the family sports, which is like the skiing, the mountain biking, the rivers, the backpacking. And um, and then you want to balance it. The three prongs, I think, of like the tripod or like organized sports, whether it's team or individual. My daughter's interested in doing track or cross country. Um, and then outdoor sports. So like things that we can all do so that we're not like three of us are not spectating while one of us is playing. And then the third part is just that unstructured outdoor time, which is important. And, and, and kids are getting a little short shifted on that right now because our lifestyles have changed so much. Like most of us have two, you know, most kids have two working parents and just going out to the neighborhood to play is not always an option if parents are working and no one's around to sort of, you know, keep that eyeball out the window. So I, I understand like why more and more kids are put in fully organized sports all the time, but it's like kids need that like goof off time. Yeah, and and you also need some time to train you. What's on, now I, I believe I saw this, I totally stalked you on Ultra Sign Up. And, <laughs> and one of the things that I saw on there was Calgonquin, which yep. is the first year of Calgonquin and the race director is a Beast Coast race director who race directs Algonquin, which I've yep. run three times so far. Awesome uh, race director, um, Trent Swanson. So I, I was excited to see that just because you'll get some East Coast race directing over on the West Coast, but uh, really wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, what do you got lined up this year? What are you yeah. excited about? Well, the day after tomorrow, I am running behind the rocks, 50K in Moab. 
Ooh. Yeah, that's kind of my first race this year, or it is for sure. Um, and um, the Calgonquin is canceled. Oh, <laughs> I love that I brought that up. I, Look yeah, at me with my homework. Someone fact check this because I got an email and I'm pretty sure it was like, I'm sorry, racers, the race is canceled. But anyway, so yeah, I did have, I, I have Behind the Rocks, which is in two days, which I'm like, cool, 50K in two days. Like, I, I feel really laid back about it. And I, it's a different feeling than normal. It's, there's almost like a, I don't care feeling. And I'm like, is that good? And then I sort of think it is good. Like, I'm just curious. I'm curious about this feeling. It's, it's, you know, um, for me, it's early in the season. Like I, we've been in probably like where you are on the beast coast, like full on winter skiing. I skied yesterday with my kids, like, because I am like a seasonal athlete, I run all year, but like I'm doing lots of things. So March is, you know, on the early side for me for racing. Um, so that's in two days, but I, I'm psyched. I'm psyched to run in the desert. Like I said, I've been in like New Mexico lockdown for so long that um, I felt like I've seen other runners like going here and there for races that are still on. Like Arizona's been full of racing, but I couldn't leave. Um, so I've got that. And then um, I'm on a couple of wait lists. Everything's full, right? Because everyone, there's so much pent up demand. Um, so I've got, um, I'm on Lake Sonoma, which got moved to Labor Day. I want to do a hundred. Um, yeah. And so things are just sort of like, I've got some pieces and then others are question marks. Um, and I think that's maybe where I'm a little different from other runners too. They plan their whole schedule out. Yeah. I can't think that far ahead. I mean, I can like, but I also... I can't race every month or six weeks like some people do. And so um, just because like we do family stuff like, I, you know, as I mentioned, so this weekend I'm running um, behind the rocks and then I'm, we're doing a family river trip. And then, you know, so it's like always that puzzle. Like you just have to put the pieces together because I can't like being in the backcountry with my family is hugely important. It also works really nicely for my training when it's like mountain trips or backpacking, you know, um, but not less so rivers. They're, they're more just like, that's like flow training is like to get into the mindset of being on the river um, and being slow. But yeah, I've got some fun things. It'll be fun to um, just get back in the mix on Saturday and um, I'll fact check that Calgonquin thing. Cause I was really looking forward to it. Sounded like amazing single track. California is my favorite place beyond the rock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got a confirmation. Calgonquin was canceled. I um, um, am shoot. not great about homework. Apparently. <laughs> I mean, I, one of my favorite places is California. Like those sing that single track. That's like totally butter. It's like the opposite of Beast Coast. It is. It's like the smooth coast. I mean, you don't even have to look at your feet. One of my favorite races I did was the Marin Ultra no. Challenge four years ago. And and that was pure flow because the trail was like, it was groomed practically. I mean, it wasn't, but oh boy, I love it out there. So I was sad that it's canceled, but I'm gonna go next year. I'm sure there's plenty of suggestions out there for you. Adam said there's Virgil Crest Ultra. Nicole's got, Nicole is a race director as well. She's got some. Um, I do want to um, give a, a quick opportunity. Um, 
Oh, oh wait, we got a we got a question that came in quick. Let me take this question, then I, I want to give an opportunity to make sure that people know where they can follow you, yeah. um, both Nicole and um, Katie. So first, do you take side trail runs on river trips, <laughs> and go um, going up from the rivers, or is river time all river time? Um, I'm laughing. I, yeah, I'm <laughs> laughing because I'm always that annoying person on rivers who's like scouting for the side trails or trying yeah. to find or, or camping at the trying to get the camps where I know there's trails. Basically, the answer is yes, always. And mm. it's never like long or serious. Like I never find like the stash of trails. It's always just I it's just I kind of cobble it together, which is also sort of my style. And it just works. It's like, you know, but mostly when I am on a river, if I time it well, it's either like during recovery or it's like during taper. Um, and so they've all served me like and 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 then, you know, when it's during a taper recovery, like then that's pure. Like that's really good for me to just be on the river and you have to get into that flow mindset and, and rivers are such good teachers. Um, yeah, I have read the Elmer Mile and I, and Kevin, um, and I work together outside with such a, yeah, such a great book. What, um, so any other, uh, recommendations that you have for our listeners, books to read, races they should run? Um, I think we missed a question. Someone? Oh, did we? Yes. Oh, uh, Liz Hartman asked about nutrition. Oh, yeah. Oh, tips, tips about nutrition during ultras. Yeah. Okay. Well, we covered the first one, the races. <laughs> yeah. My nutrition. Oh, um, so nutrition, I, you know, just feed and hydrate often um, and stay ahead of it. And so my specific strategy for hydrating um, is every time I think that I should drink, I drink. You know, and so whether I'm carrying like bottles or a bladder, which I don't do so much, but I actually have to on Saturday, they have a minimum carry requirement of 40 ounces. So I'm like, I guess I'm going to use a bladder. Bottles help me because you can see them and you can see how much you're drinking. But like anytime if the thought even passes my mind, like I got to drink, I drink. And I always try, have, try to have empty bottles coming into an aid station. Um that means I know I've had a lot to drink between aid. Um, I, um, my nutrition is I do mostly goo gels. Um, I also do the Roctane, which has a lot of calories. So I get a lot of liquid calories when I'm running like at a normal elevation, which for me is like seven to 9,000 feet. I don't consider high elevation really. Um, I have to have 200 calories an hour, but if I get above 10, thousand feet, I need 300 calories an hour. So I just pack accordingly. I always pack extra, right? That emergency gel in my pack. And then I've trained myself in training to like eat a lot of different things so that when I get into a race situation, if I come into an aid station and I eat something like I'll have sort of practiced with it. Um, and that's important. I also drink, so I learned how to drink soda when I run which I don't do ever, obviously, during training, but in races, for sure, like every other aid station, I'll have a Coke. It's good. Nice. So yeah, you, you, yeah, you practice. And like, from you know, for me, if I get behind on my calories, I really feel it. And I just don't want to get in that hole. Yeah, you train your gut. You don't yeah. train yourself to, to tolerate 
um, being hungry. You train your gut. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. But All I do right. know that altitude is a factor for me, and then I need a lot more. And I also know that if I start getting lightheaded or spacey or start tripping or like catching my feet, that's an immediate sign that I have to eat. That's boy, that would be tough out here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's just part of running is to trip right. the entire time. Tripping on your feet. <laughs> but you know, that feeling of like you're not in total control. Maybe that's always the way it is there. There's so many routes. Oh my God, remembering that Virginia race, that was so hard. Now, um, I want to be mindful of time. Nicole, did you have any questions that you wanted to, to throw over to I Katie quick? Yeah, I think we we got through all the ones I had um, I had down. Awesome. Um, and then I wanted to um, give you an opportunity, Katie, um, to tell us where people can follow you because you have um, some really great stuff to follow. Um, I think is the the cool part. You you um, have you've got some books that we talked about already, and you have places you update your your stuff pretty often. I, I, maybe I do. I feel like I don't, <laughs> thank you. I should do better, but the best place, the place I'm most active and I'm most current is on Instagram. And that's just me at Katie Arnold. Um, follow me there because that gives you glimpses, not only into my running life, but um, my writing life and kind of the adventure and parenting, all parts of me. Um, that's sort of where I, I put put pieces up all the time on kind of how I do it. You won't really find me doing like my training, you know, like I just banged out like six, you know, three minute hill intervals. I rarely post specifics, not because I'm secretive, but like I'll, I'll tell you, Annie, I'm such an open book, literally. But like, um, because back to what I was saying, like, I feel like the numbers, everyone has a different way of training. So I, I'm just going to give you, I'm in for the feeling of it. And so that's the best place at Katie Arnold. I'm on Twitter, um, which is at Raising Rippers. Um, I'm on Facebook, obviously. I post stuff there a lot. And then my website is katiearnold.net. I do do, um, which I'm really excited to start back up again. We did it before the pandemic, right before the pandemic, and then everything came to a screeching halt. But I lead running and writing retreats. And um, I'm planning one in the works for New Mexico in the fall. And there's incredible running here. Um, we'll do a lot of the running on the Continental Divide Trail, which is a trail I am um, looking to through run in New Mexico, if not the whole thing at some point. And um, the run, it's great because it's all about like, even if you're not a published writer, like so many people are like, well, I'm not a real runner, right? You probably hear that all the time. And I'm like, if you run, you're a runner. Same thing, like if you write in any capacity and writing can often be, and I use it as a conduit, as like a way to get into that flow state. So um, we do amazing runs. We'll do some writing practice and sort of like tapping into like our deeper reasons and whys behind, you know, who we are and what we do. And then we do do some um, sitting and kind of um, meditation. And it's just, it's, I call them flow retreats because these are basically you come away with um, daily practices that you can do to sort of prime yourself for flow. I mean, flow is like I said, my take on it is just a way of being like very present 
um, in your life. And, and so those are really exciting. And you can find information on that. Um, you can message me at um, on Instagram or on through my um, website as well. Nice. Um, um, yeah, so tell us a little bit more about these retreats. So how many how many days is it? Usually this usually four nights, five days. The one we did in Utah was near Zion, which was incredible running. Um, and then um, and so it's five days of great running and you don't have to be a certain pace. Right. Like we have different um you know run guides I, i'm of course one of them and so you can even be out there as like we even had some women who were hiking it um that previous one was all women i do do all women i do co-ed as well and um so there's no pace requirement you just want to be comfortable running um you know running or hiking for a few hours and being in nature and sort of open to that experience um and like I said, the one that we're planning for the fall in New Mexico is um, most likely going to be up at Ghost Ranch um, where Georgia O'Keeffe painted and lived. And she's such an icon for me, not just as an artist, but as like an individual who um, really everything she did came from within as like her own driving inspiration was kind of um, was not about like pleasing people and 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 just being true to that inner voice. And so I'm excited to do it up there. But there's like I said, New Mexico. I've lived here 25 years, having originally grown up on the Beast Coast. Um, and so I'm so excited to share New Mexico trails with um, people on the retreats. And yeah, they're they're amazing experiences. Yeah, so uh, I think it was Ian threw over in the chat. Oops. Oh, I think we lost Grace. Oh, we lost her. Yeah. Say Oh, there she is. So I just said that uh, I had lived at Albuquerque for a few months uh, doing an internship and had the opportunity to get up outside of Santa Fe a bit. And I don't remember what the appropriate name was, but I remember it just being this huge open like cauldron area near los alamos and i think the first time i got up it was like this ah! like rays from the sun went down i remember it seemed like some wildlife out in this amazingly green field and it was just an amazing part of the world and i just loved the trails uh outside and above santa fe well that's funny that's the Valles caldera and um that is the opening scene in running home is that i'm running across the caldera and it is as oh, it's so amazing dwarfs you like it's scale on a different it's like an oceanic proportion yeah and, um yeah that's such a special place and actually that's um a race that i'm probably hopefully going to do this spring um the Jemez 50. Um, but yeah there's a there's it's so varied here you can get the desert the river canyons the high alpine um so yeah the and and we'll have something for everyone, right? Like we'll have the mountains, we'll have, it'll be really great and varied. And that's that, what's the name of that one again, you said? It's the- That's gonna be in the fall. That's a running home flow retreat is what I call it. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. I was about to say, it's like, I, as you were saying that, I, I heard you talking about the retreat, but as you were talking about the, uh, the caldera there, I was like, I don't know if I'd want to race through that, right? Like, I just kind of want to be yeah. immersed. And like, if I was racing, I think I'd be like slow to a crawl and I'd just be like, you know, just it's in incredible. there. And well, and, and that's what I write in the book that I have this moment when I'm in the caldera 
Um, because, you know, in a race, like there is part of you that's like, I want this to be over. And then there's this other part that at the same time I was thinking that I was like, I don't want this to be over. Like, I love what's happening to me. And, and that's a lot about what I write and running home and what I think why I run differently is like, it's not really about the numbers or the time or the miles. It's about the feeling you have when you run and that transcendent experience. And, um, and I, you can surely get that in the caldera, like, because the scale, it's like the Grand Canyon, um, where it transforms you because you see yourself differently against the landscape. Yeah, and that was, and sorry, I, I don't know whether that's good or bad that I just weighed in. If, if, if you need to get off and respect your time, you know, I don't want to come in here no. and suddenly, oh, we're still going or whatever. Um, that's great. So when there too, I started moving. So I grew up in, the, in Pennsylvania as well. And as you mentioned earlier, these such the, I don't know whether claustrophobic, I forget how you phrased it, but like such the tight and dense forests. And, and when I first moved to Albuquerque, it was like this shock, like where, you know, where there's not, where's the green? Like, and it, and it took a while, but once you get used to it, it feels so. And then, so after that, I lived in, in Bend uh, in Oregon for maybe four or five years. And, and so once you get used to that high desert, it feels so clean and open. And then, and then when I moved back East, suddenly it's like, wow, like you're so to your point, like views in the forest is so like dense and lush, but you kind of miss that feeling of it being open and clean and not it's like stuck. a freedom. Yeah, I feel very free out here. And like and I like you, I I mean I grew up in New Jersey and splitting my time in Virginia. And, and so that's like very mid-Atlantic and like thick forests and the maples and um and when I so when I got out here when I was 23 to work for outside, I was expecting to feel super freaked out. And some reason it was like instantly I just connected with the energy of the landscape and like that feeling of freedom and that you can see things coming from a long way away but I really miss the green like I, I when I go back somewhere green I, it feels like home and I'm like oh mm -hmm. you know so it's it's hard like I, I want both and I want I miss water <laughs> totally yeah totally and then that speaks to another like you've got kids as well and I think and you're it sounds like an amazing uh, point where you're more, I think, fully trying to be or remain present in the moment and or the the week or the year or whatever that might be. But, you know, with kids, it's not I don't know. I mean, I guess we're so even more with covid where you're very much wrapped in the moment, just day to day, week to week. Who knows what's coming next? Uh, but still not to tough not to um, it's tough to not think forward, I guess, a little bit and uh, particularly where you're at. Um, particularly with a lot of the West running out of water and burning and the projections there. I mean, how is that going for kind of a landscape that you both connect with and that also kind of feeds your, your living that's being kind of dramatically shaped and the projection isn't very good. I, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's something that as a runner and just as like an outdoor athlete that I um, think about a lot. And I think we need to be talking about more as athletes and how we move through the landscape and like, I was really grappling with like racing before the pandemic in terms of sustainability. Like when we travel so far to race and there's so much resources put out for races, like, is it sustainable? And, and I was just, you know, those are big questions that I think we need to ask ourselves and keep asking ourselves. Like when we can run 60 miles out our door, like, do I have to travel to do that? You know? And, but to your point, like I, 
I do really worry about the Southwest and I feel like climate change is rapidly accelerating and um, we're gonna have a lot of climate migration and it's already begun. And there's certain places that I feel like are, you know, in a, on a bad, in a bad place. And just thinking about California with its fires. And so we're going to see a lot of people starting to move. And, you know, my husband and I have even talked about that. Like what's, where's our next move? Because we've both been here 25 years. Like it's so home, it's like a deep home, but I don't, I'm not sure sadly, like how it's going to go. And that's kind of scary. That's, that's just like, I've always thought I'd live here forever. And, and I don't know with the water. Yeah. We need to, we need to just make some pretty fast changes. And I don't even know how, how much that'll change things. Have you had any, um, and again, totally, if anybody wants to start into wrap up uh, mode, I don't want to hold anybody, I want to respect everybody's time, but otherwise now I'm on here. I'm like, ah, now I'm talking with you. And it's like, so when I'm also yeah. thinking of be, and so be like, yeah, swap, go away. But that's that's fine. Just cancel me out. Cancel culture. Get into it. Um, but the I guess one of the, the other experiences that I had that I was just thinking about was uh, years ago. That one of the first years they ran, um, I forget the, the name of the race across the uh, Navajo reservation. The um, oh um, the oh Canyon de Chez? Canyon de Chez, right? I think I ran that maybe like the first year they put it on and had. It, I've had some wonderful Western running experiences and you being mindful and out there and as much time as you spend on your feet. I remember like one of the somewhere mid miles in Canyon de Chez, I think the lead pack had separated from me a bit and it's this tight Canyon you're, you're running through and you're constant Creek crossings as it's serpentining through the Canyon. Right. And I got to this herd of, I think it was steer uh, that were just kind of living in the Canyon and they were just kind of spread like right over the, uh, the trail. And, you know, here I am, when I grew up in Amish country in Pennsylvania and you know, familiar with uh, cows and whatnot, but I'd never been in like a suddenly a pack of steer right in front of me and what I'm supposed to do when they're on my race course. And uh, so connecting with them and I think I started, I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to say like, yeah, or like something like that. And I think I just, I started kind of you know, doing, I don't know what you see in the movies or whatever. They, I think they kind of looked at me funny and then they started running and eventually they gave me birth to kind of move through and we had a little dialogue and, and I've had a couple of wildlife experiences like that uh, in the West, but anything where you've been out there really just kind of connecting and fun stories? Yeah, I mean, I'm always, I feel like connecting either with kind of um, like my deepest self or the natural world or somehow in combination. And one time running at, at Mount Taylor, the 50K out there, which is a sacred, it's considered a sacred peak among the Navajo people. Um, it's out in Western New Mexico and, um, and I, and it, it was who, I guess the same Sean Martin mm -hmm. organizes Canyon de Chez was at, um, Mount Taylor running it. And he gave this talk before the race saying that, you know, the Navajo people consider running, um, a spiritual act and, um, and so we were out there the next day and I had this very transcendent experience where I felt that I was running and I write about this in the book with everyone who've ever, who have ever lived and everyone who will ever live. And it was like this total oneness and, um, and it only lasted for a little bit, but I was, it was like, I was with my grandmother who passed away and her grandmother and my 
grand, my daughter's grandchildren, you know, that kind of feeling. Um, it, it was really, really powerful and um, transformative. And that's the kind of feeling that when you get that running, like you want that more, right? And I think that, that that's why I keep running is to find that connection and that oneness. I mean, that's really why I run is to feel connected to something bigger than myself. And um, so I usually, I often have that when I run, I mean, not that exact same feeling and not certainly every day, like in the, a, a regular run where I'm just trying to get the miles in and get home in time for school pickup. But um, it's, it's pretty bad, you know, beautiful when it happens. I mean, I have had other run-ins, like when you mentioned the steers, like I was charged by a cow um, a couple of years ago and I, I fell into a hole, like I panicked, I fell into a hole, I hurt my leg and, um, you know, I have had funny things, but it's just all part of being out there. It's like, you know, it's the full experience. <laughs> Well, that could take us in so many different directions, but I think I think the cool thing, um, Katie, is that when when you talk to runners who talk a lot about flow and all of that, a lot of times um, when you hear um, all of those stories, it's it's you know somebody like Sabrina Stanley who's like living out of her van, you know, right. and which is cool too. Like I love Sabrina, and that's awesome. Um, but you're, you're doing this from a home and also raising two kids and you've got the husband and you've got the, um, working and, and to show that you can have all of those things. Right. And you can also, um, be in a van and find flow. And, and so, um, we really appreciate you telling that and sharing that with so many other women to, to say, you know, you can do this. You can find that place for yeah. meditation and, and flow and joy within your running and also um, have that family life and, and a career. And, and yeah. it's not all gonna be perfect all the time, but <laughs> but you yeah. can make it work and, and forgive yourself along the way. And so we really appreciate you sharing all of that and continuing to share it. We could talk about it all night. I'm so glad um, that it's, yeah, because it, it is, yeah. it's, it's not all like, um, like, shininess and happiness right like it isn't for anyone like if, if someone's living out of their van in silverton like sitting in my house in santa fe i'm like oh my god i wish i could just like go to silverton for six weeks and just run every day and of yeah. course that would have its own issues and that all also wouldn't be like pure flow i mean i'd miss my kids and whatever but but yeah i think it's just like you have to work with what you've got and if what you've got is like the messy kitchen table or that like mountain of laundry like that can become the practice, right? That's the flow practice of like, how can I be with this? And like, and and I fully resisted it yesterday. I was like, I hate it. Like, I want to be free. I want to be in Silverton. You I want to live in a van. <laughs> and I want to live in a van. And then, like, oh wait, this is how I work with it. It's like I see this. And so, yeah, you know, like everything has its upsides and downs. And I think the trick is just to work with what you've got. And also, but really, like you said, is to be be good to yourself so like take care of you and what if you know there are things you need um do those things like you're not especially if you're a parent like you're not being selfish like it's actually like a service to others to um to do the things that care for yourself whether it's meditating or running or like you know writing or just taking that time you need do yeah. it take um, care of yourselves trails collective that is the the message uh, for tonight you can um 
do what makes you happy. Like do it. Yeah. Like I'll just go out on my bike and cruise around. Like not because I'm training or cross training even, but just because I want to feel like I'm 10 and riding my bike. And like, honestly, that makes me so happy. And then that makes me a better runner and a better mother and a better writer. Absolutely. Well, we, we really appreciate your time, uh, Katie, and <laughs> all of your wisdom. Um, Trails Collective, you're going to have to read her books and follow her online to get more. There's also a great story about her first marathon. We could keep going on. Um, Nicole Capadora, you can find her on Happily Running. She's got some fun races that um, she raced directs. You can find Ian on Trails Collective and the Trails Collective community. You can donate to Trails Collective on uh, their Patreon page and get a fancy hat like I have. Um, and I, I don't know where you can find me. I'm around. <laughs> oh, I want to say one thing because I forgot to say this, you know, Ooh. you mentioned running home, like it's in paperback now, please. If you, um, are a reader or know a reader, you don't have to be a runner to like the book at all as, as you've probably gotten that idea. Um, it's first, you know, available at any local bookstore. Please support your local indie bookstores. Um, you can obviously find Running Home online, all the usual places, but bookstores are, are such a lifeblood in our communities. So if you can, if they don't have it in stock, they'll order it. And also, if you want, I have signed book plates and I can personalize your book. So if you want to get a copy of Running Home and then DM me on Instagram or social media, and just give me your name and where to send it. I'll send a free signed personalized free, with your name book plate. Nice, nice. And a lot of those local bookstores, if they even if they don't have it in stock, they'll order it. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's another option. So supporting our local bookstores and our local running stores as well, yeah. Finger Lakes Running Company. Um, you can order um, fun stuff from them. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining in. Man, this was fun. I hope you had fun, too. We'll see you next time, Trails Collective. Yeah.